here and welcome back to the Angel Investors Access Show. On this series, we talk to startups, angel investors, VC firms, mentors, coaches, and stakeholders that play a part in the Australian entrepreneurial ecosystem. Proudly brought to you by C2 Angels, helping build a community of like-minded, aspiring angel investors right across Australia and beyond. Have you booked your angel opportunity investment discovery session yet? If not, what are you waiting for? Become an angel investor today and visit c2angels.com. And now let's head to the next episode and join me with our special guest. Well, welcome back everyone to the Angel Investors Access Show with your host, Brandon Burns. Now, before we get into today's episode and introduce our amazing guest, a reminder, have you booked your Angel Investor Opportunity Discovery Session? If not, what are you waiting for? Because today I'm going to share the story of someone who's been through the process of raising and understands just how important it is the role that an angel investor plays. So book your strategy session today, find out how you can actually be an angel investor, break it down and get into this amazing profession that is angel investing. Go to c2angels.com. All right, so introducing today's guest, he's a founder, he's an entrepreneur, as spoken earlier, he's a CEO, and he's been through the raising process very recently, and he's actually embarking upon some more, so it's incredibly topical to have him on the show. He's from Revolt, Kieran McDonald, how are you? Yeah, thanks, mate. No, you're <laughs> doing really well. Mate, it's awesome to have you here, and I'm really excited to hear about what Revolt's doing. So maybe, you know, in your best 45 seconds or less elevator pitch, tell me what exactly Revolt does. Um, basically, I, the reason why I started the company was to actually solve climate change. And yeah, basically, the whole entire idea of the company is to exist to empower people to do that. Love it. And in essence, we'll be Australia's first 100% green energy retailer, well. offering power prices that are up to 45% cheaper than is currently cheapest today. Wow. Um, and then on top of that, real-time tracking for every appliance in your house to truly modernize uh, what is effectively energy retail. I love that. So if we had to break down a couple of the problems that you're solving, one that I experience as a user is I open the mail every month and get a huge electricity bill and just sometimes want to just tear it up. And it feels like it's only going up. So what talk to me about how you're going to ease my pain there. Um, that's actually one of the biggest problems that, remains unsolved in energy right now. Yeah. Um, is that you wait either a month or three months before you actually figure out how much your bill is. And yeah. because the energy retailers themselves make money when you use more energy, which is the complete opposite to us, mm -hmm. it's just a subscription to access cost price energy, we give you real-time tracking, not just for your total but for every appliance in your house and then smart notifications to prevent you from ever having a high bill again okay so i'm reading here on linkedin and you guys you must check him out kieran mcdonald it's k-y-r-a-n mcdonald uh, and he's at revolt i'm reading here that there's two simple plans that you can get with revolt so i believe you can pay 500 dollars once off or three dollars fifty a week and you get access to the the power that you currently use for the same price is that correct as yes. what you currently do so how do you make that work? Um, the whole thing is that we want to incentivize people to make that transition and the $500 once off is something that actually is even better than that. It's for every person you refer to that, you and them get $100 off. Um, and the whole thing is that we're applying basically a SaaS business model to energy retail 
Um, and we've got a whole bunch of different revenue streams in there that allow us to do that. So Okay, cool. So we're going to dive deeper into your story and journey to date, but just I have to highlight right now, if someone wants to actually go and take advantage of that and trial out that way of uh, conducting their, their power and electricity scenario, what's the website? How do they do that? Um, basically, revolt.energy um, or just chuck it into Google, Revolt Energy. Um, and yeah, we'll basically be launching in about 12 months' time. Uh, nationally sure. and across Australia. Brilliant, mate. I love that. What a great, uh, what a great why, and uh, that sums it up perfectly. Okay, so talk to me about when you sort of embarked upon this crazy journey, <laughs> yeah. and what's what's probably been um, the biggest, not mistake but challenge you've had to overcome recently. Because you're in the role of CEO, you're bootstrapping, no doubt. It's a small, effective, efficient team, I'm sure, but there's a lot of challenges. Yeah. Where? Yeah, when did you start, and what? How's it all going? Um, <laughs> it's it's like most startups it's it changes every single day yeah. um but i'm very very lucky that i have the team that i do um yeah they're, they're truly phenomenal there's mm-hmm. now 15 of us including the interns um and yeah every single one of them are people that i'd be happy to spend not just a year working with but like the rest of my life and yeah they're, yeah they're truly phenomenal so um, yeah, the day-to-day is kind of, uh, it's, I, I think that the role of CEO um, doesn't quite capture what I get into. Um, it's into design. I have a design background as well as management and yeah. even IT and all these kind of things. So, okay. Um, yeah, kind of uh, giving help to my team wherever I can. Yeah, I love that. So we spoke off air about how uh, often in the early stages of the business you were talking about how the people element is really crucial and also how you seem to have a lot of automation set up and manage a lot of your processes through Basecamp. Talk to me about when on the journey you made this decision to really focus on getting the people part right and automating as much as you can to set yourself up for for scale. Um, I think it's critical and isn't really done enough in Australia of actually thinking about not just today but tomorrow Mm -hmm. and this is one of the things that I harp on all the time with my team is like how do we make this scale Mm -hmm. and this is something that happens in the states routinely it's the question is how do you make that scale Mm -hmm. Um, and that's just not something that happens here Mm -hmm. and it's looking at nowadays we have computers that allow basically anything to scale Um, it's true and yeah it's a lot of the kind of work that goes into it is just refining those products and then digitizing them. And yeah. effectively, not just internally, but externally, that's effectively what we're trying to do is apply the best strategies mm-hmm. um, that the states do here. Um, and yeah, it's something that isn't done enough in Australia. Yeah, great. I wasn't sure if I got it, but what's been maybe the biggest challenge? So what's yeah, been a well, really big surprise or something you've gone, well, I wasn't anticipating that. Okay, I've got to tackle this. Um, oh, coronavirus is definitely one thing. <laughs> okay, um, that yeah, that goes without saying. <laughs> uh, biggest, yeah, biggest thing. I think that's, it's one of those ones that, um, it almost might sound cliche, but it's the the people and actually creating that alignment. The same thing mm-hmm. that, all everyone and is a leader. Everyone who is a leader in various organizations, it's, uh, getting that motivation up and. Mm-hmm. In effect, um, yeah, it's, it's really difficult to get that alignment, particularly yeah. um, like naturally our product is very broad. Um, and yeah, it's 
even more difficult to do that when we're trying to do eight various different projects mm -hmm. um, at the same time. So, yeah, it's. I think the people is one of the hardest things. It's not so much coming up with the idea, it's the actual execution. So Great, excellent. So you mentioned earlier that you got this big, hairy, audacious goal of trying to solve climate change via your amazing business. Talk to me about how the vision needed to be as big as it did for you to be able to create a business that you believe can scale globally and become a unicorn. Talk to me about how that's played a role in you being able to now execute something that you think you can get to that level. Um, this actually took many, many iterations to get to. Mm -hmm. um, my background isn't actually energy. Okay. I studied architecture and I left a 20-year dream career um, wanting to do that to basically try and solve climate change. Mm. Um, and yeah, coming into it with basically no experience, like kind of, yeah, learning everything and then trying to figure out and iterate towards something that could actually do it and got, uh, many times to something that would actually do well, mm -hmm. but not solve the problem. And I think that's just one of those things of having that sort of determination to actually go forward and try and craft something that really does solve the problem mm -hmm. and getting that solution that feels right. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's, it's both an external thing in terms of product market fit, but actually founder problem fit, I think is just as crucial. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Great, excellent. Didn't realize you'd done architecture for 20 years, wow. <laughs> and threw it all in. That's good, but that's brave, that's audacious. Um, okay, so show me, walk me through how this business can literally uh, scale to the global stage and it can really realize the heights of something like Canva. So, you know, let's hear that vision and maybe give me a quick insight into how you reverse engineer that. Um, yeah, it's, it's one of these things that basically the energy grid at the moment sees itself as generators, the poles and the wires, the network distributors, and the smart meters. And in actual fact, that's wrong. Mm -hmm. And the key thing is that if you track where the electricity goes, it takes the exact same path from the generators, the poles and the wires, right to the meters, but then it goes into every device in your house. Mm -hmm. And effectively, we don't actually know what happens in the house. Mm -hmm. And this is something that basically we're developing what we're calling a smarter meter mm -hmm. that can actually detect what is in your house and how it's being used. And with that, it basically provides a complete picture of the energy grid. And right now, if you want to upgrade the energy grid, it's actually woefully, we, we don't know much about it. Mm -hmm. um, and by knowing exactly what is happening on it, the complete picture, you can upgrade it better. And by pairing that with our business model in which we've got uh, a really strong business model, we can actually trade these kind of two things to, yeah, create a global transition to climate change. And with Love that, um, yeah, hopefully be quite big. Okay. How defendable is your position? Talk to me about what it is about your business and your model that's unique and able to be defended from someone else overseas obviously trying to have a crack at a similar thing. Um, we're looking into some things in terms of uh say patents and stuff like that that yep. um uh allow us to actually get to this level um and uh, the device that we're actually building that's capable of getting to this level um is literally state-of-the-art mm -hmm. um and uh yeah that's makes it pretty defensible but it's one of these things that 
uh, we're up against a literal dinosaur industry, not just in how what the, the fuel that they use to power their power. Um, but yeah, they tend to be uh, incredibly slow. Yeah. Um, and typically, if you look at, uh, say, the type of investor that actually invests in these uh, these stocks, typically, because they're public, um, they tend to be looking for very uh, low volatility. They tend to be the stable ones. Yeah. And for them to completely change up their business model, add a hardware device to every single um, thing that they're doing, um, we're pretty confident that by the time they even try to do that, uh, we'll be pretty far ahead. Okay, very cool. Okay, so I want to hear from you, if possible, um, your first experience in raising. So how did you gather those first uh, round of funds to seed your business? Did you bootstrap? Did you go to family and friends and fools? Did, yep. you, did you go to an incubator? How did you do that and how did you determine what you thought you needed? Um, basically, we bootstrapped the entire way. Um, I... I mentioned like my amazing team, they're effectively all on equity um, yeah. at the moment. And that's something that, uh, yeah, has allowed us to be at the scale we are and kind of doing the things that we mm -hmm. are is um, that kind of commitment to the goal. Yep. Um, yeah, when it comes to money specifically, that helps to accelerate things. But mm -hmm. I think fundamentally, either as an investor or as a founder, your key goal should be you should succeed regardless of money. Yeah. Um, and that it's you should look like you're going to succeed regardless mm -hmm. and that's I think a really good barometer both internally and externally as to what makes a company investable got it I love it so to an aspiring angel investor out there who's considering getting into you know angel investing for the first time and maybe they have a gravitation towards things that are related to climate change and impactful businesses mm. What would you say to them? Are the key things or flags to look for or, or insights that they can use to quickly sum up if a founder and a business is actually a really sound opportunity? Hmm. Um, I think partly it's it's kind of uh, well. There's one one of the clearest ones is that particularly when you're talking about social entrepreneurship, um, you're actually looking for that purpose as well, mm -hmm. and that's something that, yeah, I think you can kind of get a sense of. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I could say, yeah, you need to look at the marketing, you need to look at the team, the traction, all these kind of things, which are super relevant, but you're also probably going to be with that person for the next five to 10 years. Mm -hmm. And that's longer than most marriages. Yeah. And that's something where if you don't get a sense that you can work with that person and provide them help which is the key thing at the angel stage is just providing help mm -hmm. um yeah that's that's i think that's critical yeah okay cool so find find someone that you think you could know like and and do business with and that attracts you in the in the manner of which uh, industry and business that they and the problem they're trying to solve um okay cool so with respect to angel investment as a whole and early stage investment in your opinion, you've bootstrapped, which is great, and it's obviously a desirable state to be in because it proves that you've put skin in the game and there's sweat equity at play. But what would you say is a sweet spot amount of investing to really put into a startup to give it some life and some oxygen and to help that founder really get some traction on their journey initially? Is it a 50K investment? Is it a 20K investment? Or is it maybe what it goes toward, you know? 
I think, yeah, ultimately it comes down to what it goes towards. And mm. it, to bring it back to the thing, they should be succeeding irregardless and that uh, you shouldn't actually have, have to pay for salaries mm-hmm. most of the time. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of nice to actually pay them so they could focus on the product if that's all that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. But generally it's like, okay, is that money going towards marketing? Is it going towards those things where they are external of the company and the whole thing is that they should be bought in for equity and that's their, that's where they're benefiting. Yeah. Um, obviously this kind of varies from case by case, but yeah, I think, um, yeah, it just comes down to how you think you can help. And yep. that could be that, you know, you're worth 5 million and to drop 25, 50 K is like 50 K is your upper limit. And you're like that I can sign a check tomorrow and forget about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that it just depends on your range. I think mm-hmm. most people actually believe that they what the founder needs is far higher than what the founder actually needs. Yeah. Um, and that ultimately, if your founder or whoever you invest in is more scrappy, um, that's someone. That's the kind of uh, yeah. That's that's ideally what you're looking for is someone that isn't just spending money for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. Because um, yeah, it's like any sort of project. If, most most investors tend to come from business. It's like, if you were to go put that money towards an internal project within your company, would you be willing to spend that money? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, most of it's just a test. What are you reading right now? Um, I actually don't read that much anymore. <laughs> Audio book. Uh, yeah, uh, podcasts. Uh, yeah, I listen to, um, I guess, Farnham Street. Uh, any, anything about mental models. I think that's kind of game changing. Yep. Um, Hang on. So mental models. Break that down for me. What is a mental model? This this is a good one. Um, So basically, uh, the easiest way to explain it is it's the ideas that we use to explain complexity. Okay. Um, If you look at Warren Buffett, his success comes down to mental models. It's looking at the exact same thing that everyone else is looking at and having a better way of explaining that Mm -hmm. that is higher value. And there are kind of what I call like meta models. Um, and it's just coming up with better ways of actually thinking about the same problem that other people do. Well, um, best example, if you could give us an example to paint a picture for the listener and the viewer. Yeah, so uh, uh, a good one is when someone says, that doesn't make sense. And this is borrowed from Adam Robinson, um, who calls uh, Warren Buffett a friend. Um, yeah. And then doesn't talk about who his clients are. But um <laughs> And that's one of these things that whenever someone says that doesn't make any sense, mm-hmm. what is literally happening is the uh, event is outside of their current domain, knowledge domain. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing about that is that if you can c- triangulate these views across multiple people, um, say take Trump getting elected, a lot of people said that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. The key thing there is that if that continues to happen, it is likely to continue happening because all of the advanced models that people have built up and ideas predict one thing and the opposite is continuing. Therefore, it's likely to continue. Yeah. Um, and it's stuff like that where you can use that to look at the, the extents of people's knowledge, um, all these kind of things, and that's incredibly helpful. So. Wow, awesome. We digress, but that was a good digression. <laughs> so, two-part question. Best and worst piece of advice and from who? And just so you know, our audience loves to hear the really bad, worst, juiciest advice. 
but you can give me both. <laughs> uh, yeah, what's the worst piece of advice? Um, God, there's there's a lot. Um, I think it's not even just advice; it's advice in general. Yeah, and this is something that where as a founder you have to build up incredibly tough skin to actually differentiate who actually knows what they're talking about and who doesn't. Yeah, I've gone down multiple different roads where someone says, "No, you should change this entire thing," and because you're kind of putting your heart on your sleeve every single day mm-hmm. and then they they basically crush it, mm-hmm. you kind of, um, you go, oh shit, maybe I'm wrong. And mm-hmm. there's always this reflection because you're constantly getting this feedback. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, um, yeah, I would actually just be conscious of the advice that you're actually getting yep. um, and try and triangulate it between more than one person. Gotcha. Um, I think that is critical because most founders... Uh, have no shortage of advice. That's mm-hmm. the one thing that they tend to have more than anything of. Mm-hmm. It's partly having, like being scientific, actually testing your assumptions and mm-hmm. saying, okay, that's great advice. Um, how do you validate that? Or yeah. actually asking for the reasoning behind it and yeah. pushing back a little bit. Um, I think that's kind of critical because particularly as you uh, evolve in your journey as a founder, um, there is that. and. The same thing goes with, um, say, investing in a company. It's to say, hmm, I have this idea. I think it might be good. Here are the reasons mm-hmm. why I think it might be good. And then seeing if the founder thinks that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, they're closer to the problem, all these kind of things. So, yeah. um, I don't know, best advice? Uh, what would I say? Uh, Quit oh, architecture no, and become <laughs> a founder. <laughs> that's, yeah. Change your dream. Yeah. <laughs> I, I probably... Uh, well, it sounds like you got some good advice around how to treat all forms of advice mm. when you talked about having a bit of a filter and triangulating it. That almost sounds like good advice. Yeah, uh, it's <laughs> I guess a positive outlook. Um, <laughs> yeah, what's the worst advice? Um, yeah, Has some, have maybe you heard some advice being given to others yeah. and you've had to jump in? Or maybe you've received some advice at one point in time, but it actually became quite redundant at another point in time just because of mm. where you're at on the journey um, I, I mean you, you seem pretty averse to being obsessed with raising and bootstrapping being the answer which is very responsible and it makes a lot mm. of sense but I'm sure you would have had your uh, number of people who said you've got to raise massive amounts of money yeah I think uh, like we're going to the massive amounts of money route um, despite having bootstrapped up until this well, point well on that talk to me about your current raise yeah Justify for me why that's what you require and talk to me about what the pitch is going to look like as far as equity and you know, valuation and what, yeah. it, what it's going to be spent on. Yeah, totally. Um, so effectively, we're raising $10 million for our seed round. Um, that's $10 million Australian? $10 million Australian, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's uh, that's very high for Australia, Yeah. Um, possibly even at record levels. Um, the key thing for us is that... Uh, we're looking at how do you... I think one of the key things in Australia is that we tend to have this mindset of how do I make uh, what I have grow versus how big can this be? Mm-hmm. And the key thing with Silicon Valley is they say, how big can this be? If we go and put in... Um, if we're the first person in that game, take uh, Airbnb, you haven't heard of the other competitors, the one from Europe because they got bought out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that... The key thing is once you go and you saturate that market, 
can that has such a high ROI mm -hmm. that actually putting in more capital to begin with actually creates a point of leverage where even if in our case we raise 10 and we don't get to be the number one player in the market, mm -hmm. which we're very optimistic we will, um, but it's that even if we fail at that point, we're still getting tens, 10x. Yep. Um, and that's something that it's a different way of looking at this problem. And particularly if you're investing earlier in something like this, um, you can gain a lot of benefit out of that. So is it pre-revenue, post-revenue? Where are you at with the business? Um, so this is pre-revenue. It's yep. looking at, uh, we're about to launch a very large marketing campaign um, yep. to actually look at developing uh, the traction that we've already seen in uh, in closed testing. Yeah. Um, and So validation is underway. Yep. Yeah, cool. And this campaign will just scale that validation and also bring in some clients and revenue and more people using the product. Yeah, it's 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 the kind of it's one of those things that um, we're looking to create basically a movement around climate yep. change. Mm -hmm. And in terms of uh, a business, you could actually look at it as a scientific experiment where mm -hmm. you're always testing, always testing, and trying to find that exact path. Mm -hmm. And you know, until you hear about us in the news everywhere, which is we've got uh, plans around. Yeah. Um, it's basically looking at, well, how do you get towards that? And mm -hmm. what are the kind of frameworks that allow you to do that? So, Yep. When does this raise need to happen by ideally? Um, we're Talking about the runway. <laughs> <laughs> runway is an interesting thing. Um, basically, we're looking to start the raise in about three months' time. Yep. yep. Excellent. All right. So what's the best way that people can find you and find out more about Revolt? Um Twitter is probably the thing that I'm most active about. Uh, if you, yeah, Kieran McDonnell, K-Y-R-A-N, McDonnell. Um, yeah, if you want to follow me there, if you're interested in mental models and that kind of thing, that's mainly what I post about is my general thoughts. A little bit of Trump, but mainly mental models. <laughs> <laughs> Not so much Trump. Um, but then, uh, yeah, basically, uh, and then otherwise LinkedIn, um, same name. And if you Google K-Y-R-A-N, I basically pop up first beautiful always, so. and the website is revolt.energy yes that's correct beautiful anything else to add before we wrap up today on the show um no i think like it's one of those things that as an investor you can live vicariously through a founder and yep. that's something that i find a lot of people when they've gone and they've made their money mm -hmm. they get to this point in which yeah to then probably not going to go start their own business, but to get little glimpses of that and mm -hmm. get the kind of the rub, um, that tends to be a pretty large appeal. Um, great. So that's that's the reason for why being an angel investor, yeah? 100%. Fun, great experience, and often the unsung hero in the equation that can often get a massive 30, 40, 50x return. One of the few opportunities where you can actually do that. 100%. Awesome. Kieran McDonnell, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, for those of you watching and listening, I'm going to drop a link in the comments for you to listen to the show in full and also to find out more about Kieran on LinkedIn and Twitter. Revolt.energy is the website. And as I said at the top, if you haven't booked your angel investment opportunity discovery already, do so. As you can hear, it's a great profession. It's a fun thing to do. You'll learn way more about how to do it with us. So visit c2angels.com. Thanks for being on the show, mate. And let's get you back in to do round two. Thanks, mate. Um, Beautiful. Whenever. Thank you. Hi, Mum.
And that's all we have time for today on the Angel Investors Access Show, your series with Brandon Burns from C2 Angels. If you're thinking about becoming an angel investor and you don't know where to start, then you know exactly where to head, c2angels.com, and book your angel investment opportunity discovery session now. Until next time, I'm Brandon Burns, and I'll catch you later.